someone who's been mentioned previously on this podcast, Gwendolyn. Do you remember? Oh, yes, Gwendolyn, our good friend. There was a chance encounter, uh, and Gwendolyn knows someone from Ukraine who's actually in yeah. Kiev just now. So get their side. we ended up speaking to Vlad. Vlad the lad. Vlad the lad. So he joined us for an hour um, this morning, and yeah. It's just kind of his take, a person like me and you, like on the ground, so you can see what a real person is going through rather than just the news outlets, which sometimes are not factual. Yeah, and we had a really good chat. I think you'll all enjoy it, so... Enjoy. Roll the intro. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this is Vlad we've got with us from Ukraine. Yes. So see, like, just for, like, where are you, like, currently at the moment? Where where in Ukraine do you live? Yeah, so I'm living in, the, like, one of the closest Kiev suburbs called Vyshgorod. Uh, the, f- like, famous small town that was uh, built, like, yeah, it, it was like a village on the hill. But then when uh, Soviet Union started to build Kiev hydroelectrical station, uh, yeah, basically they moved a bunch of people in and the village became a town, yeah. So like we are, yeah, we are a town of like energy people. I'm living very close to Kiev uh, hydroelectric uh, station, and yeah, that's where I'm still staying at. Yeah, I've I've been living in Kiev uh, for a while before my family moved here, moved to the suburbs, and I finished my school here. And like, uh, yeah, and like once again, have been living in and out of Kiev. You know, moving from Kiev to Vyshgorod like in last years. But yeah, right now I'm I'm here. My mom's flat is this. My mom left to Germany. She just made it like uh, yesterday in the morning, and yeah, I'm renting myself a flat here uh, in yeah, not really far away. So yeah, that's where I'm at in my one of my many hometowns. So, so you're just in the north of Kiev, then? Yeah, like it's like uh, literally like ten kilometers away from the Kiev city limits, and actually, like Russian troops are like thirty kilometers away from us, like in in Vyshgorod, like. Uh, region like counties so to speak uh like three small towns like once again 30 to 50 kilometers away from us are taken by russians and like we hear a lot of stuff flying over us to kiev from there so and we, we are like once again having like front row seats you know basically listening to stuff so it, it, it's it's really rough here yeah. are the people there expecting troops to come through the town any day not really, because like uh, once again, the only thing of strategical value is a uh, hydroelectric station, but it's sort of like away from town a bit. And I've heard that you know, Russian troops tried to take it, but then they were kicked out like a couple of days ago, several days ago. And yeah, they like once again have never, never came back to the town borders. And like town is closed from every direction. There are like several, I would, I probably should not mention, you know, a lot of details. Like, there are, yeah, there are like uh, several roads that lead to the town, but in a way, like you are leaving the road that goes to Kiev to go to the town. So as far as we understand, you know, no Russian troops plan to come in because why would they? Like, we would give them such a warm welcome, and you have no idea how many cocktails we have here. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, see, like, uh, like, uh, like you as a citizen of the, the town, 
Like, what is your role? Is, are you expected to work, uh, work with the Ukrainian army because you are like obviously a man and between eighteen and sixteen? Is your is the expectation of you to be in the army with them and help them? Or uh, well, I'm in the last uh, group, the last tier of people who are eligible for the army. Because, like, we have, like, this crazy wave of, uh, basically, patriotism, you know. There were, like, used to every military station for days, like, nonstop, you know. Yeah. Like, people were standing in, like, for hours. And, like, at some point, you know, like, uh, our army, like, ran out of uh, arms to give to people who want to, like, volunteer, you know. And me, like, having no military background or no military experience, like, I would be, I'm, I'm like, in the last, very last, you know, portion of people or like uh, a part of uh, demographics that is expected to defend the uh, yeah defend the town with arms and hands so yeah i'm doing my humanitarian part in a way yeah absolutely and are you like are you expected to go to work at the moment then do you still have to work is your job still expecting you to like sign on each day and and like do a proper shift? Well, not really. I'm like, I'm sort of like sem- semi-freelancing. So I'm working for a London-based company, actually. So from the first uh, day of the war, they told us that, okay, work never stops. If you guys need to work, like, uh, be sure that you do. Uh, like, like everything is working. Like, the website where I'm working is still on and functioning. And, like, my salary arrived, like, even earlier than expected. So, like, once again, my company is, was very nice and very open about, uh, what, yeah, being able and having the availability to work on the one hand. And on the other hand, you know, uh, supporting people in Ukraine with, you know, funds they've earned. And actually, one of the things why I decided to not join, you know, like, any sort of armed forces is because, like, I'm, like, basically in 5% of the country that can still get funds, you know. Like, nobody is working. Yeah. I'm still working. So, like, from economical perspective, it just doesn't make sense to not keep working. So, like, every workday from Monday to Friday, I uh, come from the shelter uh, to one of my flats, yeah, to my mom, to my mom's flat or to the flat I'm renting. And until the 8 p.m. when uh, the curfew starts, uh, I basically, yeah, keep working, keep getting those funds from the from London to Ukraine. So uh, That makes sense. Because, like, we, we were, like, talking before the call and we were just thinking... How does it work with like money and uh, like work? Is like money still used? Do people? Because I saw on the news. I don't know if you've noticed, but like people who had been looting, like Ukrainians who had been looting, and other Ukrainians had like tied them to lampposts yep, yep. with like a, a sign on them uh, to shame them, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I was just we were wondering, like, yeah, do uh, is are you still is all the our shops still able to be open, or is it just very much like emergency, like for food and water and stuff like that? Well, the situation with shops is um, they decided not to go with, uh, like, uh, carts for food and stuff. But instead, like, shops are closed, but then open in pretty much, like, almost random pattern for, like, a couple hours per day. Mm -hmm. So people are not buying, you know, everything from the shelves. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's their way Mm -hmm. of balancing, you know, amount of things on the shelves versus uh, amount of people who want to buy stuff. You see, shops are open. People still have have some money and like everybody's sharing like once again i decided you know i have this shift from you know i'm living at home and going to the shelter to i'm living in the shelter and going home to basically just take a shower and work you know uh because like mm-hmm. i decided that like once again me being able to work being able to get money and it's really valuable for 20 like nine other people in my shelter so like uh, so far like we are like really doing really good we are like, like stuck with food like every day, like almost everybody goes home and like we go to different parts of town 
and we like uh, check what shops are open. So we bring some stuff from the shops that are open back to the shelter. So like once again, in a way, like sharing the stuff that we bought and like keeping the overall balance of like food and resources in the shelter on a high level. Yeah. So yeah. I'm guessing that also keeps like morale high so that you guys have are like in a good spirits as, as good as you can be, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Vlad, what is the shelter? So uh, my shelter is like like a spa, basically. You know, I'm I'm a bit ashamed to stay there. <laughs> it's uh, it used to be a uh, uh, it used to be like uh, just ordinary like underground like several rooms, you know, as you would expect with like just gray walls and nothing. But it was made to the dance class, you know, that type of thing. Right, okay. So, like, there's a lady that, yeah, uh, like, she has been, yeah, she's had this, uh, like, dance group, like, whatever, like, band, how would you call them? Like, for years now, she, she's, like, like really famous locally. And, like, once again, she has this nice, nice uh, underground room with, like, four exits uh, with, like, it's warm there, they have Wi-Fi there. I have brought my uh, router from home, so like the connection is going is like better there, and like yeah, it's one of the warmest, nicest shelters I have seen. So <laughs> like we are in we are in a real really good spot. It, yes, it's a bit it's a bit cold in the morning, but like that's pretty much it. That's the only you know bad thing about it. So how often how often are you in there? How much time are you spending in the shelter, and how much time out? Uh, well, like once again, I pretty much shift to living there to like uh, sort of take care of the shelter community because like once again we uh, the demographics of the shelter is uh, like me being 26 my mate who's 27 couple of other boys who are like in their early 20s uh two men or, like three men in their 40s and then rest is like uh women 30 to 40 uh, several girls like in their early teens and then like uh, six elderly ladies mm-hmm so, like, in a way, like, man population is not really, you know, uh, yeah, it's not really big. So, like, from from uh, bringing water to going to shops to, like, basically, like, bringing stuff from around town to the shelter, uh, like, all of us men are trying to do, uh, like, our part in terms of, like, once again, to keep the things sort of stable. So, uh, yeah. What's the expectations of people, like, the especially like the, the women and and kind of children are they like waiting to leave ukraine or are they just planning to stay in their town and hope to just pass pass time by and hopefully things get better what's their kind of end goal do do they expect to like have to leave as well to like poland and stuff like that or the or the west well um to be like really honest i I, i'm not really sure about the people who share the shelter with me because like even my mom you know never expected to leave like then she called my uncle who lives in Germany to like wish him happy birthday on the 2nd of March and uh, told him that she's like her health you know was not really uh, coping well with the living in the shelter and all the stress and stuff but, like and my uncle basically like quickly brainwashed her into like hey you have to pack and leave mm-hmm. so like I-, I was surprised by my living you know I-, I literally got the call and she was like I- I'm picking bags like right here because like my cab can arrive in five minutes and yeah, like I just ran home, helped her pack, and like in, in 30 minutes, she went to the train station. Uh, so yeah, uh, people in the shelter, like there seems to be no will f- from any of them to leave. Mm-hmm. 
And I think, like once again, we are we as a town are in a really good position because stuff is flying over us, not to us, not you know. Uh, and um, I think like everybody who could leave or thought they should leave have left already in a way. So everybody who stayed is just you know, yeah, it's just okay with staying. So I haven't like heard anybody, you know, you know, being in the shelter and still having conversations about like, hey, I wish I left, you know, or I'm planning to leave or all that. So yeah, I think like once again, everybody who stayed plans to stay until the very end. So, what are the logistics of this shelter? So do you have to if people moved in beds and stuff to to live there full time or? Uh, well, once again, since it was a dance class, they have a bunch of, uh, like, soft things, like yoga mats and, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. bigger mats and stuff. So older people sleep on, uh, like, thicker mats, you know, so it's softer for them. Kids sleep on the softer mats, too. Uh, like, old men, like, and me and me and my mates, we are sleeping on just, like, two yoga mats on top of each other. So, yeah, it's a bit hard, but, like, who cares, you know? I've been, I, I, I've, I've had like a strange housing situation for the whole 2021, pretty much. So you, you guys have no idea how much time I've spent sleeping on, on the floor and on, you know, on, on couches of friends. So like I was trained really well to this. Like I have, yeah, no, it's, it's all good. Was, was Ukraine hit, was, sorry, was Ukraine hit quite badly with COVID as well? Were you guys the same as the UK? So we had like lockdown where you couldn't leave the house and like, there was like ex- really extreme rules on like socializing and and whatnot. Did Ukraine have a similar COVID experience? Well, overall, yes, we had a um, strict lockdown uh, for a couple of months from the very end, uh, from the very beginning, and uh, yeah. So like, but like first summer, as soon as it got, it got warm, like people just this like stopped basically, you know, following all the social distancing stuff. So like, and government actually lifted some restrictions. They realized, yeah, it's impossible to keep people in anymore and it's it it it's it, it uh, screws you know people heads badly being kept in house yeah yeah definitely yeah so like once again with covid like we were pretty much in the same pattern as you guys i think with like stricter lockdowns uh, during uh, springs and autumns and but yeah but this winter and this autumn we had like yeah for a while we had like adaptive lockdown they say so like you, you just you had to be vaccinated to you know keep moving around and yeah yeah going okay. to places. So like yeah, with vaccination, you know, uh, really strict lockdown sort of got lifted. And right now, like one of the running jokes here is like, hey, like we're gonna read some news about COVID. It's still going around. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, it's, it's interesting because like obviously like as soon as like COVID stopped being on the news, it's like straight on onto like the Russia kind of a, like invasion, and it's like. Covid's still there, so like all the, for example, the military, the people being all close together, like surely, like there's still lots of cases of Covid within that. Like it's quite a a strange dynamic. Um, like just I know it's probably not the most important thing at this moment, but it's it's still quite a lethal infection, isn't it? Like there's a disease that could kill people, so it's something that I guess. Do you wear your mask to go to the shop anymore? Naturally, nobody cares about that stuff. Like, yeah, that's became irrelevant now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, once again, uh, people are sort of like people are trying to spend as uh, least amounts as possible, uh, amount of time as possible, like going to the shops and like once again, shops are not open for a while. Yeah, and you basically just go in, get what you need, and you leave anyway. 
so that like there's not a lot of social contacts besides queues because like queues to ATMs, queues to shops are huge sometimes still. Uh, so yeah, in a way, like uh, social dynamics are uh, such that may lead to spike in COVID cases, but I haven't really heard of you know uh, of anybody having any sort of respiratory infection, like of people I know, people around me, and that stuff. So. Like, yeah, in a way, once again, I have not really uh, experienced any spikes of COVID myself. I haven't heard of any. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can I can see it being an issue. But, like, once again, it's just not not something I have witnessed yet. Yeah. There's, there's other things. Other priorities. Yeah, um, absolutely. So what is the general, what's the general consensus or the general feeling towards the West and towards NATO in your town or in Ukraine generally? Well, uh, that's a good question because, like, obviously mixed feelings about it. Because, like, on the on the one hand, like, uh, like arms that have been brought here are like really valuable. Without javelins and stingers and all that good stuff, you know, we wouldn't be fighting as effectively and as efficiently as we do. But like on the other hand, you know, with the no flies on stuff, you know, people are just following Zelensky lead and following our own propaganda, which is also a bunch of bullshit, if you ask me. Because like once again, people are lying from both sides. You know, they have no casualties. We are like important thousands. You know, the real numbers probably in between. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and like even with NATO, you know, like the government is saying, like, hey, like NATO is not doing everything they could. You know, they are part- partially responsible for like some death here, but like freaking Israel, you know, have been asking for a no-fly zone for fifty years. You know, they haven't got any. So it's it's mm-hmm. just something that NATO was not meant to do from the very beginning. I think, and you know, to be expecting this and to have hard feelings about it when you do not get it is just like more of people's issue than NATO issue. And like overall with sanctions, uh, so I have like, I'm sort of a dissident here because like I have a lot of mixed feelings about stuff. Like one of my mixed feelings is about sanctions because like on the one hand, you know, sanctions are bringing Russia to its economic default and in a way are bringing war, you know, to the, to, to the end just because of how bad Russia is going to feel. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm really freaked out by the image of Vladimir Putin being like with his back to the wall, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, every bit of sanctions is, is pushing him further to the extremes of his sick brain that nobody knows what's in. So, like, once again, I, I can totally see NATO not willing to get involved. Because, like, you can hear it, it in Russian uh, official political rhetorics that they're, like, saying, hey, like, you know, they keep, they keep saying stuff about nuclear things and, like, about third, like world war and about, like, Europe and NATO, you know, participating in the conflict. And they know their cards really well. They are, like, once again, they are pretty much sending the message that, like, hey, if more people get involved, like, we will get more involved too. Mm-hmm. And if anything, being in the middle of the conflict already, I have no desire to see what's you know, what it means for Vladimir Putin to get even more involved in the war. Yeah, so is your feelings towards Russia that, do you believe it's one man, or do you think it's a bigger a bigger war machine? Is, is Do you think this is just the, the whole project of Putin and everybody else is too scared to do anything about it, or do you believe it's the, the will of a larger population, portion of the population within Russia? Well, like once again, I have plenty of friends in Russia and I've been having a lot of discussions about it and they feel it's not the latter. 
that like once again there's one guy and his inner circle running the country he's like once again sitting in the bunker and like with his uh, background with uh, being a spy and all that uh, he I'm, I'm pretty sure he has you know strange perception of reality anyway yeah so and one of the issue and one of the issues you know uh, with him is like and one of the good things about Ukraine is he I think he massively underestimated what Ukraine can do so like with his you know with his limited flow of information and his perception of reality he like had no idea and we had no idea we would fight this part you know to, to be honest we had we, we never expected our army to be this good I'm not kidding <laughs> so and we were really glad they are. So like once again, uh, with Russia, uh, I think it's one man, and I think everybody is too scared. One of my friends from Saint Petersburg told me that uh, like Russian propaganda was built on hate and fear for more than twenty years, which is really true. So like once again, they it, it's like in a way you cannot blame people, you know, for being brainwashed for twenty years straight. You know? Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, like, once again, uh, some people want to leave, some people want to protest, but, like, it's not plenty. West majority of population is just too scared to do anything. And some people are just, you know, really well brainwashed. They support Putin. They support what he does. They think they are here to free Ukraine. So, yeah, I, 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 do, not ex- I, do, I don't ex- expect those people to, you know, start a revolution. So Yeah, that there's been so many videos that I've... Like, it's obviously hard because someone who's detached from both the scenarios i can only go off what like i see on the news and what it was on videos and a lot of videos are obviously fake but the the perception that like is built up here is that there are russians protesting and then if you but if you ask a general consensus in this the, the towns they are so unaware of what is actually going on at all that they, they don't get shown what's going on they have no idea and they have full faith in putin especially the older public the older part of the population like are tr- truly believe that putin wouldn't do anything like bad to anyone especially not ukrainians because they are seen as they are like close relations close brothers essentially but then on the same onus i saw a, a more light-hearted image and it was in a lift of an apartment block within uh, moscow mm-hmm. and they put some a joker put up a picture of vladimir putin on the wall mm-hmm. And when and it was like secretly recording everyone's reactions when they came in the lift, and everyone's reaction was, "Oh, for fuck's sake, this idiot's spying on us here as well." So like you can tell that when people are on their own and they're, they're not, they don't know that they're being watched. They probably do have an, a non-favorable position against Putin. It's just that, like you said, they're they're scared, they're brainwashed for so many years. They think that there's no other way but to support him. And do you think that the do you think that the Russian people could change this if they wanted, if they went in mass, or do you think it's just not possible? Well, I think it's like, I think it is not possible just because there's nobody to sort of lead the way. Yeah, like, the only guy who was, you know, pretending to lead the way is in jail now, being Navalny, you know, and so, uh, and just on a general basis, uh, I mean, I can. I can sort of see Putin's point, though. I can see where he's coming from in terms of, like, once again, if you just accept as, as the fact that he has this strange, distorted perception of uh, of a spy that enemies are all around me, like, mm-hmm. that's what his whole country, you know, mindset right now is. Yeah. Like, we are good 
people, we are great people, like we are at home, and we have enemies all over, you know. Everybody is an enemy around us. NATO is an enemy, United States is the enemy, China is God knows what. So in terms of like sort of supporting his own country and their national interests, um, his politics are doing really well, you know. He cares about something and partly about his country in his own strange way, you know. So, and maybe, like, once again, with his uh, perception, uh, he thought that uh, whatever is going on with Ukraine, with all the arms being shipped here, and with everything, you know, is, once again, may lead to the conflict. So, and uh, I've heard that even, like, 2014s, that, you know, him getting Crimea was basically just sending the message to the whole Western world of, like, hey, guys, you know, we still have we're still able to fight back. You know, we are not scared of NATO. We are not scared of the U.S. So, yeah, and, like, once again, my, my, my friend who is from Russia, who uh, right now is has been living and studying in Canada for years, and, yeah, uh, he, like, called me on the very first morning and told me that, like, his theory of this whole war is, in the last couple of years, just uh, too many people just got insane, basically, you know? Lost, the, lost their minds, and like, and the balance of the common sense in the world shifted so much that it led to this global conflict. And Ukraine is just as it, as it has always been in the middle between you know two axes. So like, you have Russia as a great power, you have Europe and NATO and the US and the whole Western world as another great power, and Ukraine is just in the middle. So like, it's not anything personal towards Ukrainians. It's not anything like once again that Putin really hates those Nazis and drug addicts. And, like, we probably are Nazis and drug addicts, by the way. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, like, once again, it's, it's, just, it's nothing personal. He is just fighting global geopolitical war, and Ukraine just happened to be his, you know, his playground. So he sent, he sent, he sent books, basically, yeah. That, that's basically where, like, like, as a, my own personal opinion is that, the West and the NATO should do more because because of that very factor. Like, would you stand and watch, like, if you were at school, mm-hmm. would you stand and watch a bully just pick on someone, yep. not their not the same size as them, not with the same equipment? You wouldn't you wouldn't do that as a person. So, what kind of message does it send to everybody in the world if the people that can do something and the people that can stop this? say no to someone who has clearly lost their mind because they're too scared that if they do something, he will react badly. But if they don't do something, surely the reaction is just the exact same because if he continues this war in Ukraine, what's next? Is he going to just attack Finland? Any country that's not NATO, essentially, he could just uh, just do the exact same thing because ultimately what the West and NATO are saying to him is, we won't touch you so long as you don't touch NATO, but we will watch you do anything you want to do and I don't think that sends the right message. And the, the the fear of a war, a world war, like in reality, this is a world war anyway because the West and NATO, they might not be have troops on the ground, but they're supplying weapons. They're having all these sanctions. Like the only element that they're not getting involved in is the fighting, but every other aspect of it is still war, like economical war. So it's, it's easy for like individuals to make decisions, but the general public, I would say, they don't want a war. Nobody wants a war. But they also don't want a lunatic just to create havoc and, and kill innocent people. Like, nobody wants that. And I don't think 
I wouldn't, if I was a leader, I wouldn't feel comfortable sitting there knowing that I could do more and doing, I am not doing anything, personally speaking. But I'm not in charge of a country, so yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't have that kind of say, but that's my general feeling. What do you think, Nevin? Do you feel the same? Completely agree. I think that's a really strong feeling in the, the West, certainly in the civilian side of, of things, is that it is easy for us to say because we are not the ones given the ultimate decision to 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 sacrifice lives and sacrifice possibly other areas of of nato and other other countries and states but as a civilian it's very very hard to to see your side sort of just stand by and go yeah as long as you don't come anywhere near us we're okay yeah well yeah i i, I can also again i can see both you know both points being really valid. Like, first one is basically Chamberlain versus Churchill, you know, in the end of the 30s, right? Because, like, yeah, there was this guy, Chamberlain, who was, you know, basically not doing anything active to stop one man who got, yeah, who got mad and got himself Sudetland and Czechoslovakia and all that. So, and, yeah, only when he, like, sort of crossed one of the lines and only when you, you've you got the guy named, named Winston who decided, you know, he's not taking any bullshit anymore. You know, something started to change. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, Winston Churchill, Gunderson, yeah. but never forgotten. But, like, uh, in, yeah, in a way, we need... I, I think you guys would, and we would, obviously, uh, enjoy having somebody like this running Western powers, you know. But, like, on the other hand, like, once again, I'm really, I'm really at you know, in a peaceful state of mind. So I don't want, you know, anyone from any other country to come here and die for my country or die for their country or die for their, you know, or die for stopping this lunatic. So in a way, you know, uh, I can totally see people not willing to get involved so the scale of the conflict gets bigger. So it's it's a really tender balance between, like, once again, doing what you can to stop the bully but then not getting, you know, not losing your arm in the process. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a difficult balance. Yeah, it, it, it's like really, it's it's really hard to like see what is the right thing to do. And like, after all, like my country cares only about itself, you know. We are not sending money or like ammunition or anything back, right? So like we are totally in like we care about ourselves mode. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's it's really you know strange to expect that everybody else would not be in same you know mindset. What makes the feeling stronger, certainly for me, I don't know if you agree, Giuseppe, is, is because of how Ukraine have reacted. So because of the the clear resolve of the people there and the so clear brave. attitude of of like no fuck you, fuck this, we're staying, we're fighting, and and you can't have what you want. I think that makes that I don't know that sort of moral. Um, obligation to I obligation to actually do something even stronger because I think well they are willing to fight because it's not just I know it's about obviously saving your country but there is a bigger picture there is a bigger picture of we need to stop this guy now before he goes any further yeah um, and I guess, I guess like one of the biggest advocates for that is like your president Zelensky like has like he I don't know if it's the same opinion in Ukraine but every woman in the UK loves Zelensky. Every person in the world loves Zelensky because <laughs> the uh, impression that he's gave off is like a hero, like an absolute hero. Like if you consider that two or three years ago he was on Ukrainian Dancing on Ice yeah, yeah, yeah. and now he is 
He's been offered the opportunity to leave, which a lot of leaders do because they are like the target. And he stays and he fights and he like gathers his people. And you, you honestly could not ask more of a, a man, a person. Like he's really shown exactly what he's made of. And when it, when we get out of this and everything goes back to normal, hopefully, there's no chance that he won't be the president for the rest of time <laughs> because he is... Yeah, he is just showing exactly what he's made of and like an absolute hero. Is that the same opinion that Ukrainians have and yourself? Do you have that same opinion of Zelensky? Well, like once again, I was really supportive of Zelensky, not because of his like personality or anything, because like, you know, common sense tells me it may be a bad idea to elect somebody with no political background. Yeah. But like my my, my hope for the best tells me that it is a good idea to elect somebody with no political background because he's not in this political bullshit, you know, as much as others. So maybe he can lead to some proper changes. So, like, yeah, I was rooting for him. I was hoping for the best. I was hoping that he would bring the change. Yeah, but, like, I have seen a lot of people who are advocates for the previous president, for uh, Poroshenko, you know, like, uh, basically joking, like, hey, you've elected the clown because he's a comic from originally, you know. Like, yeah, you, you, like 73% of my country elected the clown who doesn't do stuff, you know, who doesn't know stuff. And, like, right now, his approval rate, like, skyrocketed into, like, 93 95%, something like this. Like, yeah. every, every one who I know who was, you know, making jokes about Zelensky and reposting every bit of news that Zelensky and his party are doing something bad, like, every, each and every guy you know each and every guy uh just tells him like hey the man is made of steel you know yeah <laughs> like he, he yeah he, he strange strangely you know the guy with no political background is you know showing all the politics how to act yeah absolutely so yeah maybe because of you know absence of the political background have you guys seen this mike story with putin yesterday no no so like yeah uh putin was given the speech yesterday and he was uh, sitting somewhere, allegedly, you know, on the big table, surrounded by people. Yeah, I've seen that with all the women. Yeah, yeah, they had, yeah, a yeah. Woman, had women all around him. Yeah, and then somebody saw that his hand flew through the mic. <laughs> uh, so, like, obviously, he was sitting in front of the green screen. And all of the people were, like, photoshopped around him. Not photoshopped, you know, whatever the Adobe yeah, like, yeah, premiere yeah. is. So, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's good. It's all good. Like, we have seen this bunch of times, you know, that Putin is like, once again, you know, pretending he's somewhere surrounded by people when he is not. <laughs> yeah, but yesterday, Zelensky, in his speech that came after, that was in the evening, um, after, yeah, this uh, Putin speech got released, you know, he ended his speech with saying, glory to Ukraine, and doing this. <laughs> So he moved the mic in front of him, which is basically sending the message, hey, man, I'm exactly where I am. Yeah. And, you know, my hand is not flying through Photoshop microphone. Ah. And, like, I'm, I'm exactly where I tell, like, tell everybody I am. I'm not afraid of you, you know. I'm not afraid of anything. I think Putin's very paranoid, isn't he? Because yeah. like he always has those videos and the, the you know, the big table where he's, like, miles away from his generals. <laughs> like, his generals are, like, like about 20 it's like a 20 meter long table and they're at one end and he's at the other and you think well, he's so paranoid that somebody's going to kill him because he obviously knows that he's not the most popular person in the world he, he knows once again before the war i've heard uh or like just at the very beginning i've heard this opinion that he, he put it himself in the end of his tenure realized he's going to become a history lad 
that he you know he's going to read a lot of history books and he he probably has like a lot of bittersweet feelings about his homeland being Soviet Union. Yeah. So he studies Soviet Union history really, really carefully. Like once again, the way he the way it goes, you know, into his brain. It's really fucked up, you know. <laughs> so yeah, and like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure that this whole general thing is just uh, it's just reading that uh, those pages of the history about Stalin, because like yeah, Stalin did some good job in like first fifteen years uh, getting rid of the most popular generals around him, and like he was really careful. And like yeah, there are like rumors about him personally killing you know some of the most popular, most powerful generals of the Red Army. Like once again, uh, like uh, Stalin, St- Stalin killed more red generals than the whole white army during the Russian Revolution of the like ni- 1918, 1918, 1922. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think Putin is like knows his history really well, but he knows it in some strange way. So yeah, he's he's he, yeah he's paying, paying paying attention to wrong parts of the history book pretty much. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's quite confusing because. On one hand, you have, obviously, like, in 2018, Russia had the World Cup. Uh, Putin was, like, a big advocate for that. Like, they had the, the the Russian Grand Prix. that Putin was really involved in that. Like, he wanted Russia to be on the world stage. But then doing this, now Russia's been... All the Russian sports people, all the Russian events have been cancelled. So it's, like, counterintuitive because, on one hand, he wants to show this Russia where they're doing well they can they have sports they do well in sports they they're open to the world and on the other hand in the background he's planning an attack on ukraine and you're like what is going on in his mind that he has those two parallels which are so one's like very open very liberal very like let's join the world and be involved and then the other one's like let's just shut everything off because he's obviously he's obviously got pride and he obviously wants to show Russia off in a good a good notion so do you think the sporting sanctions would damage his ego at all? Well, not really, because like I, what I think is like once again, first, first and foremost, where Putin is coming from is that everybody around me is an enemy, so he acts accordingly. Yeah, and then in order to balance that, he's like, okay, you know, I've got some of his advisors come to, comes to him and basically tells him very carefully with very careful wording. Like, sir, you've got a bit too paranoid about enemies around us, so maybe we should be a bit open to the world, like, like here, or like with this. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, once again, I, 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 I see you know, all of this Russia being open to the world as a reaction to the main line, but not like the main line itself. So, like him, yeah. he, him, like he personally probably doesn't really care about this as much. You know, I think, like, once again, his main. Uh, main thing is like, hey, enemies are around me. I have to protect myself and my country, in inverted commas. Uh, so yeah, and that's what he does. And then like you know, all of the other sanctions and all that. Yeah, like once again, all, all of the sanctions pretty much are there to do something that is not efficient, which is push Russian people to the edge of revolution. They will not be pushed. There is no edge mm-hmm. that they can be pushed to. So, like, like all sanctions do is just kill life, day-to-day life of Russians. Yeah, it's like that's why. Like, once again, I'm speaking to many, many friends I have in Russia. I'm, I'm trying to actively help most of them to leave. Like, no kidding. Like, I'm trying to, like, once again, to talk to people here about this. I'm like, hey, I, I really do care about my friends in Russia. Like, their future is being thrown to the garbage can. 
in front of their own eyes. The whole world is pushing the country to the toilet. It's not fair. That is not fair, you know? So, and yeah, they should, they should leave. And people here are like, hey, kids are dying. You know, we have like, yeah, kids are being born in shelters. Like, fuck Russians. I'm like, no, not fuck Russians, you know? Like, it's, like, I'm fighting for common sense more than against Russia, you know? Yeah. And common sense is being, is being badly damaged in this, yeah, in this whole conflict. Yeah, I, I guess the West, like, hope is that, that it starts like a revolution, like you said, but what there is obviously the danger of the, the Russian people blaming the West. Yes, yes. And saying, and then justify, justifying Putin's war because of the sanctions, which is obviously a bigger, a, a great worry because then you have a country behind. And, and the, the, the ironic thing is that even if the Russians are behind Putin or if they're not behind Putin, the same out, the same resulting effect will be the same because Putin decides what happens and people are too scared to act out. So, so long as he's got the generals who are behind him and the army who's behind him, then it's up to Putin what happens. Is like what I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like once again, even personal sanctions on Putin. Do you think he cares? He's seventy something. You know, he's he knows he has all hearts for like seven Helmut Rockefeller to seven heart uh, heart transplants. You know, <laughs> inside of his bunker, he has all the food, all the, all the money, all the wine he needs, and all the all the good stuff. So like him personally, you know, will not be touched by sanctions in any way, shape, or form. And like once again, it's sort of uh, foolish to expect that you know. Putting more pressure on people will make them act against Putin. Because once again, you know, instead of imposing all of those sanctions, like you know, maybe somebody could you know just hire a bunch of freaking assassins. Yeah, like uh, good old political, yeah, good old political murder. <laughs> like, no, no, nobody's willing to get their hands on it, right? So like, no, nobody, nobody wants to go first Friday in that way in this case, right? Um, There's a Russian guy who put a million pounds on his head. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like so, the, like uh, yeah, a Russian guy who I think he lives in America, and he put one million dollars on Putin's head. So if someone assassinates him, they would give him one million pounds, and then I think someone else backed it. So they said, oh, "We'll match the million." But I don't, I don't think that would happen. Do you, Vlad? See when you see when you speak to these pe- the people you know in Russia. Obviously, we spoke of the propaganda machine. Do they accept your version of events when you tell them what's going on? Or is there some reluctance? Well, people who I speak to, you know, it's like, it's sort of inverse. The reason I'm in touch with them to begin with is because they have enough common sense to not accept propaganda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and to say, and to say screw Putin before the 2014s and before like any sort of conflict started. And like, once again, uh, like I have a friend now who's like a girl, like really, like relatively young in her, in her teens still. And like, uh, she she keeps she's like she just has a really good part and she tries to spread the truth you know she talks to people in her university about this she's trying to like once again respond to her family watching news saying yes glory to putin he's doing the right thing all of this nazis in ukraine and she tries to respond and her family is just giving her shit they're like we did not raise you like this so mm-hmm. and, and me on the other hand it's really difficult yeah it is it, it, it absolutely is so like i'm trying to support her as much as possible because i'm living in a good shelter i'm still working i have plenty of food so like you know all of my main uh, like main fields are basically covered so like i'm trying to support her as much as i can because like, once again all, all of the pressure that she's facing 
Like she's trying to find the, for, for truth, for common sense, you know, and she's getting, you know, shit's thrown at her in her home country, which is like really, you must be really, feel really desperate. Like once again, my best friend who's in Canada, you know, he's, he, he's been having this full-fledged depression because of what is going on to his home country and with his home country being Russia. And like he stopped, you know, having conversations with friends who support Putin because they're like, hey, you, you guys are like way too liberal for us. Like, you do not support mm-hmm. what the country is doing and, like, screw you, basically. And, like, he, yeah, he's just really sad about it. Because, like, once again, you know, all, all of your mates are suddenly not supporting you and telling you you are insane. Yeah. So, like, what kind of pressure is that? So, like, and it, it is not fair, too. Like, once again, I'm so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to support people who are spreading the word as much as they can. Because that is as important as, like, once again, fighting the actual war. It's like letting people know what exactly is going on. And if, if you are under pressure for letting people know about the truth, then, yeah, you should you should be supported. That's I, I genuinely believe so, yeah. So, so see, as someone who, a resident of Ukraine, how do you, what, and do you think about the long term? Like, do you think about how this will end? Like, what do you think will happen? Like, I'm intrigued to, like, know what you what you personally think the, the end the end point is of this to be to be quite honest no idea like i i know mathematics way too well to make any sort of educated guess that would you know that i would be okay with so like literally no idea like and speaking of speaking of the end and one of the ways it can end uh like once again nobody expected that we are going to find this hard but in a way it hurts us because any sort of negotiations that are be are going to happen, like we are not breaking down anymore, we are fighting hard. So we will not give up any any part of the land. We will ask for the land. We will ask for Crimea back. We will ask for Luhansk and Donetsk back. We will ask for parts of Russia back. You know, which is like once again, it has been supported by the way we fight against the Russian army. But on the other hand, you know, us fighting hard does not bring peace deal any closer. You know. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's really hard to predict what is going to happen. And like people are just living like one day at a time and nobody is sort of thinking about like, yeah, what's going to happen next. And I'm really afraid of it, to be honest. Yeah. I'm thinking after, after the war, like a lot, like there's this uh, Russian movie uh, shot by like really talented Russian um, director, uh, Kantimir Balagov. The movie is called Dilda. And the movie is about uh, Leningrad, uh, Saint Petersburg, in the end of 40, 1945 and beginning of nineteen forty six. It's so, like right, right after the war. And like I, I, I keep telling to all my mates who want to go and join the army, I'm like, hey, watch this movie. Watch the town being completely paralyzed, having one and a half men for every thirty women, like alive and well. You know, I mean, you know, not injured, not dead. Mm-hmm. And like, and imagine that we're going to go through this after the war ends. We literally have to rebuild the country, you know, like in some in some places. And like after the war is going to be in a way like even harder than during the war. Yeah. Because like war is black and white. War is black and white, you know. We are good, they are bad, you know. We are defending, they are attacking. And after the war, like real world will just kick in. And the real world respects work, you know. If you, if you work hard, that's the only thing that is going to bring results. So like, I, I'm really afraid of the level of hate towards Russians that is rising here, 
because I'm afraid it's going to spread against like all my fellow Ukrainians. That you, because the, the hate does not go away, you know. And like once again, I've been reading a lot about Germany in like 1920s with all the violence that was taking place there because people after the war were so much like PTSD basically that they couldn't help themselves. So like I'm afraid it's going to start happening here. I'm afraid that people are going to enjoy their victim status, you know, victims of war, you know, like like they are being on the good side so much they will not work hard. And like once again, in ring, you have to forget about the war as quickly as possible, and like go into the working mode as as quick as you can after this whole thing ends. And I do not expect many people to do this. Because like once again, people are comfortable enjoying, you know, enjoying being completely white, enjoying being on the complete good side of the spectrum, you know? Yeah. And like once again, the real world doesn't care about good and bad. Real world cares about work. And we need to work. So like yeah, I'm really concerned about uh, general mindset of people here. And I'm really worried that, like, in a way, we may, like, with all the weapons being, you know, distributed among, amongst, amongst people, we have, we, we, like, we never had, like, gun laws that would allow, uh, not, not strict gun laws that would allow people to carry guns. And right now, like, everybody, everybody and their mom are getting a gun. So, like, what is going to happen in the first year after the world is, like, war is over, you know? So, like, yeah, I can, I can see, you know, like in a year, us having more civil casualties after the war than we are having during the war. Just because of the level of hate, just because of, of the arms that are not going to be given back by people. And just because, like, once again, people are going to be so ptsd and so in the still war mindset that after the war will not kick in. So, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I have no idea when this is going to end, but I really care about, you know, putting right mindsets in, in, in people's heads about like, hey, we need to survive through this as as many people as possible, as many resources as possible need to be saved because after the war, we're going to need a lot of those. Every single like man and woman and like any kid and everybody, we will need those people. Like we have a lot of work to do and every day of war brings more work, you know, to the table. Yeah. So yeah, like once again, no idea when this whole thing ends, but I'm pretty sure that, uh, yeah, there, there would, there would be a great need in Ukraine to like, once again, spread the right mindsets, you know, amongst people just to let everybody know that, Hey, it is over. We have some work to do. Let's, let's, let's keep working. So yeah, you're completely right. The, the, it isn't just about winning this war. The effects of this war are going to be now long-lasting on the whole country. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and, and look, again, everybody keeps telling you about, like, you know, in, in history lessons and, like, in movies and all stuff, like, there's a bunch of things about World War Two, like, right? 1941, 1945 here, or, like, 1939, 1945. Like, have you seen a lot of movies about, like, you know, 1945 through 1955? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You don't, you, you don't see the after, you don't see the rebuild, the, the like the what do they call it? baby boomers? Is that is that baby boomers? They're called um, the period of time where people are trying to rebuild their life because they've went through a period of the only thing that mattered was survival, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you you have to think about a house and a job and a all the all the the boring things in life yeah, exactly. that are not as important, but like. The West, especially the West, like that we put so much onus on that, like capitalism, just what kind of speakers you've got and stuff like that. <laughs> pointless, pointless stuff. Um, but yeah, I never thought about it like that. I never thought about 
how how hard it will be afterwards. But let's hope that we get to a point where we can say afterwards, like it gets resolved by, like just to go back to what it was, I guess. Yeah, definitely, man. Vlad, Vlad, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, man, but I, I think I would, I would just like to ask, because I know I asked a couple of people what they would like to ask you, because uh, once they heard I was speaking to you, and the main thing people are asking is, is there anything we can do that realistically helps as a normal member of the public? Well, uh, once again, the third thing I think you guys are already doing is speaking to somebody on the ground, because our national use are propaganda as well. You know, we are trying to help uh, keep the whole country in a good spirit. So, like, with the numbers being amped up, with, like, yeah, with uh, letting everybody know that we are fighting harder than we actually are fighting. Yeah. And we, in a way, I think the truth is we are fighting hard enough. Because, like, once again, Russians are not adjusting, you know. They are standing 30 kilometers away from my town for, like, a week, just trying to shell the heck out of Kiev. And, and, like, we've got a bunch of air defense around my town, and I, I keep hearing explosions every now and then, like, oh, sometimes every two minutes. So, like, n- none of those rockets are flying towards Kiev. You know, n- none of them are landing. So, yeah, uh, we are, like, once again, fighting hard enough. So it's important what you guys are doing to just keep talking to the people on the ground, keep uh, spreading the right, good quality information in the age of fake news. And, yeah, that's that's first and foremost. Like, let people know that, yes, war is going on. Yes, it is horrific. But, yes, people are in a good spirit. People are holding up. You know, people are, like, once again, everybody is doing every bit they can. You know, like, once again, I brought router from my home to my shelter to, like, help 30 other people to stay online 24-7 because that's important for them, you know. That's the smallest thing I could do. Well, like, once again, I, 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 I'm still doing it. I'm trying to do a bunch of small things every day, and I think they are not less important than, you know, fighting on the forefront. I think that supporting the illusion, the, like, uh, uh, tender illusion of the normal life is really also important, you know. Mm. Like, yesterday, my landlord told me that I'm insane offering him my rent. Like, I called him, I told him, like, hey, it's fifth, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I won't pay. He's like, no, keep your money. <laughs> like, and, and, like, immediately, I was in the shop, and, the, like, there was a lady in front of me who wanted to buy, like, something, and she, like, you know, didn't, didn't expect it to be, like, this expensive. So, like, yeah, she left, like, a bunch of stuff on the counter. Like, and immediately, I told the uh, cashier, like, hey, I'm paying for this, you know, like, let, let me pay for this. I ran to the lady, gave her what she left. I told her, okay, you forgot this. She's like, no, I didn't. I was like, yes, you did. Yeah, don't don't forget stuff in the shop. Yeah, have a good day. And then I just run away. <laughs> so, yeah. That's great, man. Yeah, so, you know, like, once again, I am I, I have never, ever felt this much support from a bunch of international friends I have gotten over the years. Like, once again, Harry and all his crew and, like, all of the other mates from other countries. Like, I'm, in, in a way, in the best mood of my life because I have never, ever felt this much love and support just constantly, you know, going my way. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, so you guys keep protesting, you know, keep letting the world know. If you see, like, uh, I, I I probably think that at this point it is not really wise to support Ukrainian army with your funds. Like, me personally, and I suggest you guys uh, look for, like, humanitarian alternatives. So, like, you know, people who are uh, bringing uh, medicines, people who are bringing uh, foods and clothing and all that stuff to the uh, towns that are in a way worse position than mine is, because there are plenty. 
Yeah, that have been that have been bombed, and yeah, and I know as a fact that you know a lot of help is being gathered in Europe and is being delivered here, and it is being distributed amongst people who really need it. Uh, so, like once again, keep supporting with uh, keep supporting just people you know, uh, keep spreading the right information, and if you want to like donate, donate to the donate to humanitarian cause. That's that's what I would do. Yeah. That's a good answer. That's really good. No, man, that's really good. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, for talking to us. Thank you, yeah. Thank you for having me. What we'll do is we'll we'll stay in touch, man. And uh, maybe depending how things go, you can we can maybe say hi again um, and check in with you, see how things are going. Yeah, sure. Can I have one one, one, one last word, please? Yeah, I, it's something personal too. Of course. Yeah. So before uh, switching to my last two jobs, what I was doing is uh, assisting foreigners who who come here. Like, uh, th- that's how I met Harry, in a way. Like, accidentally, I met mm-hmm. uh, his friend Jake in the pub in Kiev. And I asked him, like, hey, what, what are you do- I doing here? He told me what he was doing there. And I'm like, I can help you with that, you know? So, yeah, I was, uh, I was seeing a lot of foreigners coming here just for tours or to, like, adopt children or to participate yeah. in conferences. And I was, uh, mm-hmm. for years, I kept, I've kept the brand of Ukrainian hospitality really high. So, yeah, and I just realized, like, hey, I have no, oh, like, not a lot of hard skills, but I love my country, I love my town, I know English, like, and uh, that's maybe what I can earn money, you know, doing, doing. And, yeah, so I'm just trying to let guys know it was awesome to uh, uh, meet you, like, virtually, and as soon as this whole shit is over... I'm like I'm inviting everybody to come and visit. I'm inviting everyone to come to Ukraine, support national economy with your international funds. Keep keep buying local goods. Yeah, keep traveling the country. Keep looking at how beautiful Ukraine is. And like once again, I'm I'm here. I do not plan to leave. I plan to stay here and work. And I plan to keep the brand of Ukrainian hospitality really high. So in a good place. So like all of you guys are more than welcome to like once again. Come here, see it with your own eyes, just talk to people, just experience how big and gorgeous this country is. So, and once again, economically, it would help the country to rebound really, really a lot. I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, you guys are more than welcome to have a chat like this with me in my apartment without headphones and yeah, with a good bottle of something. Yeah. <laughs> Likewise, you should come to Scotland. Yeah, I absolutely will, yeah. That's great, man. I, I I think you'll have no problem with tourism after this is all finished because people are fascinated to see this country that has managed to to keep up such high spirits during such bad times. Um, so yeah, we'll definitely be there, man. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you'll not have a shortage of visitors. Yes, yes. Hoping for it. So, man, thank, thank you, you very, very much. much for coming on, mate. Yes, thank you.